Yeah. You know, I was thinking as we were singing um, uh, about the breath in our lungs, and it's funny the things that come to your mind sometime, because I, I don't know when you when we sing, we we actually it's actually a, like an exercise. It's it, it requires um, effort, and you know we breathe in large amounts of of oxygen, and we and we breathe out in in song and. And uh, the verse that came to my mind was, exercise yourself unto godliness. I don't know if you've ever thought about, about this, but it just occurred to me that when, when, the, when the Scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's something about, about that, actually using our strength to worship God. Whether we think of worshiping God as service or praise, either one, there's, a, there's something to that because... Um, uh, even in in the original languages, the word worship and the word serve were uh, very very closely connected. So much so that sometimes it wasn't clear whether the writer was talking about things we do with our hands or things we do with our hearts. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's kind of an aside, but but uh, it's uh, it's good to to worship God together. Uh, it's good to see you here. It's good to have you join us online, those of you who are taking that in. And uh, it's just good to be together. I echo those sentiments that April shared earlier. It's good, uh, it's good to come together and uh, to worship together. We, we are in uh, the book of Hebrews together uh, today. And uh, the New Testament letters uh, written by the apostles... Uh, are written to churches, and therefore they're written to us. Uh, they had their original audiences, and so we do have to be aware uh, of that and uh, uh, how it might affect some of how we uh, interpret it, interpret or more that how we apply the teachings of the letters to our lives. But nonetheless, um, we are the current current recipients of this letter, and so therefore it is God's word to us. Um, we, we make an effort to be a Bible church. We, uh, we believe in, in, in God, we believe in the Spirit of God, we believe in the Son of God, and we believe in the Word of God. And the reason that we, we can have such confidence in, um, uh, in the Lord and His work in our lives and the power of his spirit is because we know what his word says. And so hopefully we're in the word together. We want to be in the word together in the letter to the Hebrews uh, this morning because the book, the letter of Hebrews begins with the statement, God has spoken. That's where the writer starts. He says, God has spoken. Think about that for a moment. God has spoken. Have you allowed God to speak to you? Do you make it uh, a practice to read the word of God, being careful to um, surrender your heart and open up uh, your, your ears to hear what God would say by his spirit to you? I hope you do, and I hope you will this morning as we dig into to this, um, this New Testament book, um, the letter to the Hebrews. But uh, just um, 
to say that we're journeying through the New Testament, right? We've been in the book of Acts a lot, but we're, put, we're, we're weaving the, the, the letters into the narrative because that's probably the best way to appreciate them. Probably the best way to understand and appreciate the letters of the New Testament. I'm talking about uh, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1st Timothy, 2nd Timothy, Titus, uh, Philemon, Hebrews, James, uh, 1st Peter, 2nd Peter, 1st uh, John, 2nd John, 3rd John, and Jude. Those are the letters of the New Testament. And uh, the book of Revelation is, is um, a little different, but it is, it's, it's written to the churches as well, isn't it? And so we're journeying through the New Testament, and we're, it's part of a three-year journey through the Bible that we're doing. And we're thinking in these days of being on mission for the Lord, we're, we're thinking about and talking about being sent. So uh, two weeks ago, Josh shared with us about how we are sent to all. And then uh, last week we talked about uh, being how we're sent to encourage and how the, the, the message and the ministry and the mission uh, of being sent is very much about, um, about encouraging uh, one another and encouraging people to put their trust in the Lord. And uh, this week we're talking about being sent to proclaim, and it really... It really does tie in well with last week because we're going to be talking about encouragement uh, today as well. And then next week, uh, Josh is going to be sharing with us about uh, how we are sent to demonstrate. And he's going to be taking us through the last three chapters of the book of Hebrews because today we're going to be going through Hebrews 1 through 10, if you can imagine that. Isn't that going to be fun? Just feel like, you know, I need to drag somebody through deep water, you know, for, uh, for an hour. Uh, but it's good. We're going to do this. It's going to be good. I know that God's going to use it because uh, we're going to pray right now and ask him to do that. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this uh, tremendous group of people here in this facility and watching online today and, and uh, hopefully participating. Um, uh, we, we pray that you would help us today, Lord, to... We want to get what you want for us from this portion of your word. So we pray you would just give us a clarity of thought, that you would still our hearts and, and uh, give us the ability to focus. And Lord, that you would just draw us. Draw us into your word, Lord, and draw us into that relationship we have with you because of um, the shed blood of Jesus, our Savior, who's made a way through the the curtain, uh, the veil of his flesh, so that we can come into your presence and we can experience the salvation that you have for us. And Lord, we, we pray that you would help us today to draw near and to, um, to hold fast to the gospel and to be an encouragement to one another uh, in these days. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three says, long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
So the, the writer starts by saying that God has spoken. He's spoken to us in, in, in days uh, uh, before uh, through the prophets, so that would be the Old Testament. Uh, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, which would be the, what we call the New Testament. And, uh, <clears throat> and then he makes it very clear who Jesus is, that he is um, the heir of all things, and that he created the world. Jesus Christ is the, the eternal Son of God, come in the flesh. He is the creator, our God and our Savior. And he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Uh, this is, Jesus is not a created being. Created beings do not uphold the universe by the word of their power. So he, he makes the, the deity of Jesus very clear right at the start. And uh, so he references the Old Testament and then the New Testament revelation. And then he, from that point on, he sets out to show the greatness of Jesus Christ. How he's greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than all the Old Testament personalities, all the Old Testament forms, because all those things foreshadow him. Um, it's also a letter uh, here written to uh, uh, Jewish believers, and, and we'll see this as we go through, that this is a letter written principally to Jewish believers who had started really strong for Christ, but were being tempted to revert back to lesser things. We talked a little bit last week uh, in Acts chapter 11 about the, the grip that the ways and the mindset of, uh, of uh, the Jewish people, uh, the grip that it had on them, even after they received the good news of the gospel. And uh, so today is a little bit more in that vein, but not so much about the, that attitude that they struggle with as the temptation that they struggle with to go back. You know, you, you know maybe it's uh, through trials and tribulations, sometimes we're tempted to look for something different, you know? You make a decision for the Lord and you put your faith in Christ and you receive the gospel and then, and then you know, hard times come and, and maybe you start to think, well, gee, you know, maybe, maybe there's something different I should be looking for here. Maybe something else. Maybe something, maybe I need to go back and uh, revisit this. And, um, and the, the letter to the Hebrews is written to people who are struggling with those kinds of of things, And therefore, he goes throughout the rest of chapter 1 talking about how Jesus is greater, uh, greater than uh, the angels. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he starts there saying, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. We need to pay closer attention to what we have heard. That's the message lest we drift away from it. Just a few weeks back, we were in the book of Colossians, and we saw there that uh, Paul expressed a similar concern to those believers. He wrote there, um, <clears throat> see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elements, uh, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then he said, for in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him 
who is the head of all, the, all rule and all th- authority. It's all about the sufficiency of Christ and the supremacy of Christ. So the same concern that Paul had, or at least a similar concern, that Paul had for um, the believers at Colossae, uh, the writer of Hebrews had for the people that, that, that he was writing to. Uh, over in the book of Corinthians, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led away from a sincere and devotion, um, sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So it's not a it's not a problem that's isolated. It's something that's that's uh, we all can kind of share in, and that's that temptation to um, to drift, that temptation to fall away, that temptation to turn back. It's always there, and so a, a, a good start is a good thing, but it doesn't ensure a strong finish. And this is very much on the mind of the writer. And so he continues in chapter 2, after he says, uh, therefore we must pay uh, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Verse 2 through 4 says, for since the message, again, there's emphasis on that message, God has spoken. uh, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, um, and they're referencing the Lord Jesus, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Again, the emphasis on hearing that message and responding to that message. While God also, verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, distributed according to his will. So the principal idea is uh, don't drift away. Uh, Don't drift away from the gospel. Don't drift away from the message. Don't drift away from the content of the gospel, which is all about the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the salvation of our souls, him saving us. Uh, Drifting away sometimes means drifting back, and it seems that that is a particular concern for these Jewish believers because they had held in such high esteem the ways of the prophets of the Old Testament and the messages and the forms of the Old Testament. It was very tempting for them to drift back. So the, the author is intent on showing that Jesus is greater than all that was before because he is the incarnate Son of God who saves us. And that is what he talks about in chapter 2, verse 5 through 18. He talks about how Jesus was and is the the incarnate Son of God, that is God in the flesh, who provides salvation. He's come to destroy the works of the the devil. He's come to save us. And that's what chapter 2, as you go through, you'll see there. Um, And as you read through, hopefully you've you've read through there and you'll see that. And and then coming up into chapter 3, where he says in verse 1, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Take the time. Think about him. Consider him. Consider how great he is. Consider how the whole Old Testament points to him. Uh, And then he goes on to talk about how great 
Jesus is. And he mentions how Jesus is greater than Moses. You know, you have a high esteem for Moses. Jews had a very high esteem for Moses. But the, but the writer says, yeah, Moses was great, but Jesus is greater than Moses. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. For Jesus has uh, been counted worthy of more uh, glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. I think that makes it pretty clear. He said earlier that Jesus upholds the, all of creation. Uh, he is the creator. So he's greater than Moses. Moses was a great servant, but Jesus is the son. He goes on to say in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And then in keeping with what uh, I, I feel is the main concern of his letter, he says this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Take a look. He said, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And the you there is plural because he's writing to a group of people. And so all through the letter to the Hebrews, like most of the letters in the New Testament, we have all these plural pronouns. He's writing to them as a group, and he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day. I believe this is a key verse in the book of Hebrews because I, I, I think it functions almost like a homiletical idea, um, uh, a, a sermonic idea. And, and uh, biblical scholars will point out that the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews, is written almost like a sermon. Uh, if you were to sit down and somebody read through the book of Hebrews, it would last, you could probably do it comfortably in an hour or so. We won't take that long uh, today to, to do what we're going to do. Uh, but it's, uh, it's sermonic. And, and so there is this fear uh, that people will, will start out and respond well, but then turn or away or fall away or turn back, but there is a prevention plan to prevent that from happening, and he states it here. He states his concern, he states his warning, and then he states what we're supposed to do about it. What are we supposed to do about it? Look what he says again. Take, take a look. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day. It's one of the one another's of Scripture. I'm going to get Aiden to bring up a slide here, and you're not going to be able to read it. Uh, but I'm going to get him to bring it up anyway. Um, it's Well, you could read it, maybe if you squint. Uh, but there's a lot on there, right? I'm not showing it to you so you can read it all. I'm showing it to you so you can take a, a glance at that and realize that there are, I think it's 36, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. Um, I can't remember. One another is in the New Testament. And one, we're looking at one of them here. Now, the word exhort in the ESV in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, is uh, the same word that, Paul, that the writer of Hebrews, could have been Paul, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we're not sure, but it's the same word that he uses in chapter 10 
when he tells us there to encourage one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. It's the word parakleo. It comes from the, the noun paraclete, which is the word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit who would come in John chapter 14. I will give you another comforter, a paraclete. And I've, I've talked about this many times because it, it thrills me to think about it, how we share in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in people's lives when we encourage one another because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to be the paraclete. Uh, he encourages us. He come, the word that means come alongside, para, come alongside to strengthen and support and uh, the, the, the other, to take up the cause of the other person and to encourage them and strengthen them is what the word means. And so here we're told that we're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be exhorting one another what? We're supposed to be exhorting one another what? Daily, every day. I believe it's a key verse. I believe it's, uh, I believe it's, it's really important. When we get to chapter 10, which is as far as we're going today, and then Josh is going to pick up and do, uh, take us through 11, 12, and 13 next week, Lord willing. Uh, but when we get to chapter 10, he uses that same word. And he talks about us encouraging one another. And he talks about us stirring up one another to love and good works and encouraging one another. And uh, so this, this is a, a predominant idea. It's, the, it's a key concept that we want to uh, have in the forefront as we travel through these, these chapters. Uh, and then the next verse, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14 says, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So a good start is good but it doesn't ensure a strong finish. Uh, but what does play a major role in ensuring that we carry on and finish well is the encouragement we receive from one another. And that's why we talk about proclaiming. The message today is sent to proclaim. We often think of proclaiming the gospel to the world, but, which is important, and we obviously need to be doing that as a, as a church of Jesus. We need to be proclaiming the gospel to, to people who, who have yet to trust him. But we also need to be proclaiming the gospel or preaching the gospel to ourselves and to one another because we need to be reminded constantly. If your memory is half as bad as mine, you need to be reminded at least daily Amen. of these things. Because, <laughs> because it's only getting worse. I'm talking about my memory. I'm talking about your memory too. Um, after this statement in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14 that we just looked at. After that, in verses 12 through 14, uh, he goes on this, starts on this rather lengthy trip through some of the Old Testament accounts, different accounts from the Old Testament. Paul says that those Old Testament accounts were written for our admonition. He says over in the book of 1 Corinthians that they are examples for us so that we won't make the same mistakes. And here, the writer is using them uh, for that, to that purpose uh, because they speak to us. You could say they exhort us. Hebrews chapter 4, when the writer there talks about how Israel hardened their hearts in the days of the wilderness and failed to enter into the rest of the promised land because they lacked the faith that translates in obedience to do that, 
that exhorts us, that speaks to us. And that's what this uh, letter of, of Hebrews is intended to do, to speak to us because God speaks through his word and encourage us to speak and exhort one another. So he goes on to talk about Israel in the wilderness, how they failed to enter the promised land. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. For the good news came to uh, us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with uh, those who listened. So again, the emphasis on the message but this is another, I think, a key part of, uh, a key verse, in, because it's part of this, this idea, the central uh, homiletical idea that the writer has, that, um, you know, the message calls for a response. Um, and that response that it calls for is the response of faith. That's what the gospel calls us to, is is faith. And when we don't receive the message with faith, or we don't continue uh, to receive and review and to live by faith, um, that's not good. That's where we get ourselves into trouble. So I think this is another key part of that. Our devotion uh, to him comes by way of our faith in him. Um, We are saved by faith And we live by faith. Hebrews and Romans are the two. There's one more. Where is it? Two letters, two uh, um, instances in the New Testament that quote that, that, uh, that, uh, that quote, which comes from Habakkuk. Maybe it's just the two. I'm not sure. Uh, The just shall live by faith. We live by faith. We're, We're saved by faith and we live by faith. Uh, so we need to be revisiting the message, responding consistently with genuine faith, and our faith needs to be in him and him alone. That's, our, that's the call of the gospel to us, and that should be the call that we make to each other as well. We need to call each other to that. What we say to one another is really important. What we communicate to, to, to each other is really, really important. So he goes through, and uh, what follows through here, right up through, is an exposition of different Old Testament uh, narrative accounts um, showing how it applies to us as it, as it foreshadows the work that God is doing in our lives today through the gospel. Um, Resting faith, he talks about entering into to that rest. Don't harden your hearts like they did in the days of the wilderness. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And for whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. So he's saying, just like then, so now, we enter into the... Um, the rest of faith, because it's not about what we do or the work we do that saves us. We're saved by faith in the work that God does. And we enter into that relationship and through faith, uh, resting faith. 
Then he goes on to talk about the tabernacle. Do you remember that from a couple of years back when we went all through through that? Um, I think it might have been Doug Campbell who took us through the different furnishings of the, of the tabernacle. I'm not sure. Maybe it was Josh or myself. But he talks about the high priest. He talks about the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron. And he talks about how all of these things foreshadow Jesus, our high priest, our, the high priest, our great high priest, uh, who not only is our priest, but he's also our sacrifice. He talks, he takes you through that. Hopefully you've read through there and, you see, and you've seen it, that he is both sacrifice and the one who offers the sacrifice. He is both our great high priest and he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He's greater than all that was before because he is the fulfillment of all that was before. Because Peter says something about people forgetting that Jesus Christ has cleansed them from their sins. You know, why is it important for us to revisit these things? Why is it important for us to talk to one another about the shedding of the, of the blood of Jesus? the offering of the sacrifice of Jesus? Why is it important for us to remind each other of the price that, that God has paid so that we can have a relationship with him? I think you know why it's important, and it's so important. What we say to each other is so important. How we encourage and exhort one another uh, is so important. So all through chapters 1 through 10, we have this mixture of um, expositions of Old Testament references and warnings or exhortations mixed throughout. And that takes you right through all the 10, uh, the ten chapters. And that's why, well, how could you possibly cover 10 chapters in a sermon on a Sunday morning? Um, well, that's, that's the only way you can. By, by, notif- by taking notice of the, these dominant themes that he's, that he's, that he's trying to uh, set out before us. So you have these, these exhortations. So for example, here's an example of an exhortation set in the midst of all of these Old Testament references. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12 says, Though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Don't quit. Don't turn back. Don't drift away. Don't stop. Come on. Put your faith in God. Hold on to the to the, to the, to, uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he has done for you. Don't forget what he's done for you. Don't forget the price he's paid. And don't forget the significance of that for you personally in your life. And don't forget to encourage others and exhort others with these truths. He talks about the priesthood, chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. You can read through there. And reflect back on what the Old Testament says about the priesthood. Because his point here in Hebrews is that was all foreshadowing what Jesus would do and does do in our lives. As he intercedes for us. As he sacrifices for us. 
And then in chapter 9 and 10, he, he, talk, he brings Melchizedek in there as a, 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 a symbol of a priest. But it's all about how those characters and forms foreshadow uh, the high priest who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapters 9 and 10, he brings the Old Testament tabernacle uh, structure along with its furnishings in. He talks about the table of showbread and, and so on. He talks about those things. And he talks about how they're all shadows of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They foreshadow the, uh, the, serving, the service of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the saving of Jesus and his work in our lives. You know, we say, well, how would, the, how would the table of showbread foreshadow the working of Jesus in our lives? What did Jesus say? He said, I am the bread of life. What I want to do right now is I want to read through Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 23. And I want to read through, we won't read all of the verses, but down to chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, but I want to read there, and I want you to read with me. And you'll see, I think it's kind of... It's kind of the heart of his exposition of these Old Testament, for, uh, these Old Testament shadows, okay? So he's going to talk about the priesthood. He's going to talk about sacrifice. He's going to talk about the shedding of blood. He's going to talk about all of these, um, these uh, Old Testament shadows and the reality of the, them in the person and work of Jesus, so will you read with me, starting at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. So they are shadows, but Jesus is the real thing. The Old Testament sacrifices didn't really take away sin. His point here is if they did, they wouldn't have to do it over and over and over again. Jesus did it once because he is the real forgiveness of sin. He is the real high priest. He is the real lamb. And all those things are only shadows of him. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Uh, note the word draw near. It's going to come up again. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But these, uh, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every, every year. 
every day, every week, every month, every year. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 14, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting that from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. That's, a, that's an incredible imagery there, isn't it? He's just a triumphant, finished work, you know? Uh, for by a single offering, verse 14 says, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then down in verses 19 through 25, and this is, this is the very heart of, the, uh, of his exposition through all these Old Testament references. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So draw near to him as you see the day drawing near. Draw near, hold fast, and encourage one another consistently to that end. That's kind of a bit of a summation of what I would say is the predominant idea in the book of Hebrews. For he is worthy. He is worthy of it all. He alone is worthy of it all. Draw near, hold fast, and encourage one another consistently to that end because he alone is worthy. What we say to one another is so, uh, so important. Uh, you know, the talk about meeting together in this passage here where we just read, where it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's been a contentious issue during this pandemic. I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but uh, it's not been quite as bad here because we've been allowed to at least uh, assemble in, in, in some, to some degree, but in some places, uh, you know, where uh, no gatherings of more than 10 people. I think uh, all through Ontario and a lot of the prairies, that's the way it's been for a long time. No gatherings of beyond 10 people. And that's been a, a real contentious issue because there are some people who say, look, it says here, we're not supposed to fake, forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so, uh, you know, Acts chapter 4, you know, judge for yourselves, is it, should we be obeying men or being obeying God? should we obey God? And God tells us we're supposed to assemble. And so we're going to assemble regardless of what the government says. I, and, uh, well, we could talk about that for a long time here this morning, but I just want to, to mention a couple of things to you. One is that it's a bit tenuous to take this passage and you try to use it to support the concept uh, of we, a weekly physical gathering of the entire church body because the passage doesn't really say that. Um, 
I, I read the passage as being very pro, pro, uh, pragmatic. I read that this passage, when I read it, it seems to me that the emphasis is on uh, communicating with one another and encouraging one another and exhorting one another, that that's why the writer is concerned that when people have a lackadaisical attitude about uh, about gathering, it's it's not so much the gathering; it is 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 a disconcern uh, for the for the body, uh, 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 an abdication of the role, an importance of encouraging one another and speaking to one another, because what we say to one another is so important, and communicating with each other is so important. I'm so thankful that we live in a day when we can communicate with one another, even when we don't get to physically gather. And I, I miss the hugs as much as anybody does, but I'm so thankful that we can still communicate with one another. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you communicating what you should be communicating with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or is the body of Christ lacking today because you are not contributing with your voice to encourage those around you? Am, is the body lacking because I'm failing to say the things that I need to be saying to the people around me? The other thing about this passage, if you remember back to chapter 3, it says, exhort one another what? Daily. <laughs> if we really wanted to use this passage in Hebrews chapter 10, to say that God commands us to meet every week as one body, and, and that's more important than what any man says, we would have to meet every day if we wanted to be consistent. I don't think that that's his main concern here. I think his main concern here is how we uh, support one another and how we speak the gospel to one another and how we preach the gospel to ourselves and how we encourage and exhort one another to, to, uh, uh, to not drift away, to, to hold on and to hold fast and to keep our eyes on Jesus who laid down his life and shed his blood so that you could have a personal relationship with him and have his presence and draw near to him day after day after day until the days are fully numbered. Um, I think we're at a time. I, I do want to mention that the rest of the, the chapter 10, um, he goes on, I, I don't, I'm not going to bring, I'm not going to get you to bring this, this passage up, um, Aiden. Uh, I think we'll just, because I think, I think I am out of time. But um, next week, Josh can take us through 11, 12, 13. But the, last, the remainder of chapter 10, as he prepares to go into that, uh, you remember chapter 11, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith? Remember that? I kind of wish I could get to preach that. But I'm looking forward to it. Are you? It's going to be good. But as he goes into that, as he comes up to that point, he, he makes a, f a few closing points uh, in chapter 10 about how uh, just as salvation, the salvation of Christ is greater, so the judgment is greater too. He makes that point. And, uh, but then he ends the chapter with this, um, this encouragement um, 
in verses, and this one we will show on the screen there, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 to 39. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. There it is there. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's a quote from Habakkuk. Uh, but we are not of those. Look at these, this verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's the encouragement. That, that's, and that, I find that to be very encouraging. Chap, uh, verse 37 is a quote from Habakkuk. You remember uh, when we were in Habakkuk? Last year, I think Josh preached from Habakkuk. Habakkuk wrote at a time when Israel was, it was, it was hard times. They were facing major trials. The book of Habakkuk begins from which this, quote, this verse is quoted from. It begins by saying, um, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Do you remember that? And if you read through the book of Hebrews, you'll see Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, these these dear people were suffering some of those same kinds of trials. Verse 34 mentions the plundering of their property. How would your, your faith respond if somebody just showed up at your door tomorrow and said, we're taking your house? We don't see the same kind of persecution and suffering that a lot of the recipients of these letters uh, uh, saw. Uh, but, but how does our faith respond to those kinds of trials. James calls them the trials of your faith. Peter says that, that when they're tested, uh, the, 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 our, the genuineness of our faith is tested and it's more precious than gold that perishes. Though it be tried by fire, uh, may be found through uh, result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We, we looked at that passage a few weeks back as well. And that's what these people were, were going through. There's a clear indication here that we are, though we are saved by faith, the faith that saves works, and it endures, and it is a confidence. It is a, it is, uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it is an anchor for our souls. We're sent to proclaim. Proclaim what? Proclaim the gospel. To whom? Not just to the world, but to one another. Um, rather than succumbing to the atrophy, spiritual atrophy that can take a hold of us, we need to hold to the gospel and we need to faithfully exhort one another. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's Hebrews chapter 12, Josh. I'm sure you're going to be picking up on that next week. Keep your eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I want to I want to end with this thought, um, if I could. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but so often we we are passive. We hear, and that's where it stops. <laughs> We sit, we listen, and that's where it stops. And hearing the message and responding is what he's talking about here. 
But what does that response look like? What does that, he calls it faith, but what does that faith look like? What does that faith look like in your life? Does it look like endurance? Does it look like confidence? Does it look like salvation? And then, falling on that, falling out of that, what do you then communicate? What are you, what are you saying? Sometimes we just don't say anything. Like this morning. What are you going to say this afternoon? What are you going to say to the people around you this afternoon? Is it going to be edifying? Is it going to be encouraging? Is it going to be pointing people to Jesus? That's a really important question, isn't it? And I want to close with that. Um, We all need the Lord to help us with this, don't we? We really do. Let's, uh, Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Thank, thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. We are so desperately in need of, of the exhortation uh, and the encouragement that you want for us to take from, from your word today. And we are so, so in need of the renewing and reviving work of your spirit in our lives. We confess, Lord, that we often do not respond the way that we need to. We allow our hearts to, go, to grow hard. But we pray, Lord, that you would renew us and revive us in your spirit, in your word, so that we would not only hold fast and that we would not only give you all the glory in our lives, but that we would share. We would share with one another. We would encourage one another. We would speak truth in love to one another. Help us to see the important role that you have given to each of us within the body of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.